Book of Genesis. I'm your host, Randy Duncan. We are in episode number six. Uh, We're still in Genesis chapter one, and we are actually on creation day number five. Uh, Creation day number five will be one of the shortest, uh, as I don't want to get into creation day six because it is jam-packed full of information. So I'm going to keep this one a little bit shorter. But before we begin on creation day five, as a quick recap of what we discussed last episode uh, regarding creation day number four, remember we talked about the appearance of the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, and remember, this wasn't necessarily the creation of the sun, moon, and stars, but the first appearance of them. We also discussed the Hebrew Matzeroth, or the Zodiac, as it is sometimes translated, uh, as well as the biblical warnings against astrology. Uh, and we discussed the number of stars being comparable to the number of grains of sand on all the beaches and all the deserts of the entire planet, with the average distance of all of those stars being a mere 30 trillion miles. And yet, amazingly, God calls them each by name. Which brings us now to creation day number five, which will see the appearance of the animals, at least sea creatures and birds, but no land mammals just yet. Creation day five uh, will include verses 20 through 23. Let me just read those and then we'll come back and, and talk about those real quick. Verse 20 starts out and says, And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Again, as we pointed out in an earlier session, This creative act begins with, and God said. The universe couldn't come into being without God's will. You cannot cross from nothing to something without God's input. And likewise here, in these verses, neither will the living creatures be created without God's input. You can't cross from non-life to life without God's input either. Now that phrase, let the water swarm, some translations read, Uh, let the waters teem. Or if you're reading from a King James Version, it reads, let the waters bring forth abundantly. But just to be clear, water doesn't have the power or the capacity to spontaneously generate life. The origin of life requires the creative act of God. So don't be confused by the King James translation reading, let the waters bring forth. Some people, for example, maybe theistic evolutionists particularly, use this verse and translation to try and argue that, see, look, here's an example of where naturalistic processes and evolution and the origin of life takes place. And don't be confused or concerned when you hear how science has proven how life began, as the so-called father of evolution, Charles Darwin, imagined in some hypothetical warm little pond when the just right bag of chemicals got together somehow and were given the just right dose of electricity. I mean, like some Frankenstein story or something. I mean, that story may as well begin with, once upon a time in a land long, long ago. No, origin of life researchers are no closer to figuring out how life began than they were 60 years ago. They have no idea how life began. None. 
There are some people who seriously believe that science has answered all of the difficult questions in life, but nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, scientifically speaking, we still have, for example, we, have, we still have absolutely no idea how life began. Scientists can't even agree on a definition for what life is. And you heard that right. There's been over a hundred definitions for life that have been proposed, and yet there is still no broadly accepted definition of life. Listen, science doesn't have all the answers. We have no idea, for example, how consciousness arose. We have no idea how the universe came into existence. Look, the list goes on, and it's a long list. But we do know this much. All of those things require information. And meaningful, specified information comes from intelligence. It comes from a mind. And the source of that information, that mind, is God. Now that phrase, uh, according to their kinds, say God created it, you know, according to their kinds, there's that phrase again. We've heard that one before. And it means the same thing it did when we were referring to vegetation in an earlier episode. You know, if you plant a peach tree, you get a peach. Well, now that same thing applies to the animals. Sharks have baby sharks. Whales have baby whales. When it says according to their kinds, that's all we, that's all we mean here. Now, I'm going to speak more regarding what exactly this, quote, kinds is referring to in the next session when we discuss land animals because, again, I think, as I mentioned, uh, I think it just uh, uh, resonate more uh, when we start talking about those animals. It also mentions in these verses that God created the great sea creatures. Some translations will say great sea monsters, but that word is the Hebrew word tananim. And this is a word referring to a sea creature worshipped by other nations at that time. And so by emphasizing that God created these great sea monsters, it basically serves to strip them of any perceived divinity that they may have been given by these pagan nations. These verses also contain the second use of that Hebrew word bara, uh, the word for create that we talked about. We haven't seen that word used since verse 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. And if you remember, bara is referring to something God creates new for the very first time out of previously non-existent material. Well, the sea animals and birds are made out of already existing materials. They're made out of the same stuff we are. The same thing as the plants are. The same elements all things are made out of. They're made out of carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, sodium, etc. Many of the elements of the periodic table. But in addition to these elements, there's something new about these creatures. These creatures have a soul. The Hebrew word used for soul here is nefesh, which again describes a, a soulish creature. So we begin to see the appearance of some of the nefesh creatures here, creatures which have a soul, a particular kind of life capable of expressing what Hebrews would consider soulish attributes such as nurturing their young, displaying some emotions, um, they're, they're self-aware, uh, things like that. Now this is quite different when we get to day six and God creates humans, which have, again, all of those elementary materials. We have the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen also. We also have the nefesh or that soul, but then also another characteristic, the spirit, which animals do not have. And so what we have here is God making something, these first animals out of existing material, the elements we're all made out of,
but then also creating something brand new, the bara, which is that soulish feature. Here's an observation. If you want to just sum up Creation Day 5 in a couple of kindergarten-esque sentences, it might go something like this. First, there were no animals. And then God spoke. And then there were animals. And what we see in the fossil record actually bears this out. In what scientists refer to as the Cambrian Explosion, which describes an explosion of the number of animals, almost all animal body plans suddenly show up in the fossil record with no precursors, no animals before them. In other words, there were no animals and then there were animals. Just like our kindergarten sentence, just like the Bible describes. In fact, 80%, 80% of the mathematically possible skeletal designs, meaning 80% of the potential body plans, show up right here in the Cambrian Explosion. Even the infamous evolutionary biologist and outspoken atheist Richard Dawkins admits in his book, The Blind Watchmaker, and he's talking about this Cambrian strata where we find the fossils. He says, the Cambrian strata of rocks are the oldest in which we find most of the major invertebrate groups. He says, and get this, and we find most of them or many of them already in an advanced state of evolution the very first time they appear. It's as though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Uh, Richard, you, you think? I mean, I wonder why it is that we don't see older animal fossils evolving and leading up to these, quote, already advanced animals. Could it be because there aren't any? I mean, could it be because God created these animals that way from the beginning? Just as these verses on Creation Day 5 describe? I mean, even Charles Darwin, the father of evolution, he was aware of the problem that the Cambrian explosion presented to his theory. But he dismissed it by claiming, look, ah, we just haven't found the fossils yet. Meaning, we haven't found the fossils that led up to these advanced animals. We haven't found the transitional fossils yet, but, but we will. We will. Well, we've been digging all over the earth now for 160 years. Since 1859, when Darwin published his book on the origin of species, we've been looking for these supposed evolutionary fossils all over the earth for 160 years, and still, silence. Still, no answer. No answer for the Cambrian explosion. I mean, how long do you have to look before you finally admit they're not there? So to summarize day five, we see the appearance of essentially the sea creatures and the birds. In next section, we're going to tackle the very busy day six, which includes land mammals and then the pinnacle of God's creation, humans. Again, thank you for listening to this study through the book of Genesis. If you know of anyone else you think may be interested in listening to this, consider sending them the link. And until next time, take care. God bless.